return that he is going to return it's not part of the scripture that we just kind of move and push to the background well we just got to strive and work through some stuff so that we forget that there is a second coming of Jesus Christ there is a return of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords I want to tell you tonight from the Word of God that if Jesus said it I believe it and it's very very much an important part of the New Testament we must never ever forget we must expect every single day that this could be the day that Jesus Christ returns amen 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 and the world that we live into today we should we should expect and we should hunger after it more than we had yesterday i believe and think that if we would really understand and know what his second coming is like we would say you can take this whole world but give me jesus i don't ever want to go back i know there are things in this world that are good but there's a lot of things that are disappointing and frustrating as well if we could ever get on that side we would never want to return to this fallen world that we're living in amen praise god so there is a hope and an expectation and jesus explains to us and the scripture is very clear about some last things i want us to establish a scriptural precedent and that is by looking at the prophecies that were fulfilled in the Old Testament that Jesus fulfilled. Jesus explained to the two disciples all the scripture and everything in the Old Testament concerning me, it said. And because of that prophecy that was fulfilled, they became a different people. So in the Old Testament, we learn of Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection. And in the New Testament, we see these prophecies fulfilled. I want to look at some of these. So if you have your Bibles, let's look at a few of these. Let's look about a, about a prophecy of his birth. So Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14 would be a great uh, verse to read regarding a prophecy before Jesus Christ ever was in the Old Testament. A prophecy about his birth it's found in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign behold a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel what is the name of Emmanuel it is God with us so in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 this is many many years prior to Christ's birth that this was a prophecy in the Old Testament in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18, we see the fulfillment of that prophecy. Verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. So there are prophecies in the Old Testament regarding his birth. There are prophecies regarding Jesus' ministry in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 61 and verse number 1 tells us that. And then Luke chapter 4 and verse 16. 
two great passages of Scripture here regarding Jesus' ministry, his birth and his ministry. Isaiah 61, verse 1, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. This was a specific prophecy in Isaiah that was not fulfilled until the time of Jesus. It had messianic connotations. They were projecting and looking for a Messiah. This is one of the reasons why Cleopas and the disciple going to Emmaus were so discouraged because they thought Jesus was in fact the Messiah. And he was crucified and he, was, he, he died and they put him in a tomb and it was over until Jesus explains a better way. So these prophecies were projecting forward to a Messiah. Look in Luke chapter 4, verse 16. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. So he stands up in the synagogue. He's going to read. There was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. He opens the book and he reads this the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor he hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty them that are bruised to preach the acceptable year of the Lord and he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and sat down and all the eyes of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him Everybody's watching him, their intent. And he says, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. It's the fulfillment of the prophecy. Now, now there were some that rejected that. They, they rejected him because our, you're just the carpenter's son. But the fact of the matter is Jesus fulfilled the prophecy from Isaiah regarding his own ministry not only his birth not only his ministry but also his death psalm 22 verse 1 psalm 22 verse 18 and isaiah 53 7 all three of those have prophecies in them this is one of the reasons why when you read the old testament read the old testament and and read everything in the old testament with an understanding that all of this is pointing to jesus when he leads Egypt, when he leads the Hebrews out of Egyptian bondage, what is that like? It's like Jesus leading those that are captives to sin out of bondage into a promised land, into the kingdom of God. When you're looking at the tabernacle and all the things that go in the they're all pieces and parts of a future prophecy. It's all about Jesus. And in these verses... There are prophecies about his death, his birth, his ministry, now his death. Psalm 22, verse 1, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know where that comes from. Jesus speaks that on the cross. Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Verse 18, they part my garments among them and cast lots upon my 
vesture. This is Old Testament. This is the psalmist writing songs way before Jesus ever comes on the scene. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before shearers is dumb, so openeth he not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken, and he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. These are Old Testament prophecies, prophesying about a Messiah that was going to come. And Jesus fulfills that. Matthew chapter 27, verse 32. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink, mingled with gall, and when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink, and they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. Matthew chapter 27, verse 46, And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there when they heard that said, this man calls for Elias. And straightway, one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. So the Old Testament is prophesying about the Messiah's death that is fulfilled in the New Testament in Jesus' death. So his birth, his ministry, his death, and then in our text, we read about his resurrection because when he is on the road to Emmaus with Cleopas, he's talking about his resurrection. He's not in a tomb anymore. He is alive and living, and he appears unto them, and he sends them to Jerusalem, and he tells them, you're going to receive the power of the Holy Ghost in Jerusalem. There are many, many prophecies with wide, with wide range of fulfillment. Some scholars say there's 8,000 to 10,000. These prophecies could be about Israel. They could be about Jesus. They could be about the church. They could be about world events. So when you read the Old Testament and you're thinking, man, I don't understand any of this and this is crazy, I would tell you do this as an exercise. Everything that you read about, look for Jesus in there because he's in there. The Old Testament is always pointing. There is one that is coming. <laughs> the King of kings and Lord of lords that you don't see in the Old Testament becomes the King of kings and Lord of lords that becomes Christ in flesh in the New Testament. And so everything that you read about in the Old Testament is all wrapped up and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. This is one of the reasons why the disciples were so uh, powerful in their approach to the name of Jesus because it all points to Je Jesus. Neither is there salvation and any other for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's all wrapped up in his name. So the Old Testament prophecies are fulfilled in Jesus in the New Testament. Genesis chapter 1, verse number 1, says, In the beginning, 
God created the heavens and the earth in the beginning. So if there's a beginning, then that also means that there is some kind of end. There's a beginning, there's some kind of end. And the last days, turn to your neighbor and say the last days. We are living in the last days. How do we know that? Well, some would look for signs and what have you, but we know that the last days begin at Pentecost. How do we know that? Well, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 16, when Peter gets up and he starts to preach, he says, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days. When what shall come to pass? In the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams and cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my judgments and do them. When the Holy Ghost is poured out, then the last days have come because Joel said there's coming a day in the last days in which God is going to pour out the Holy Ghost upon all flesh. And so when the Holy Ghost is poured out upon all flesh, then we start living in the last days. Amen. They were living in the last days in the first century. We're still living in the last days. Why? Because the Holy Ghost is still being poured out. And I'm thankful for that. And how about you? I'm thankful for his spirit, his anointing. Amen. The infilling of the Holy Ghost. The last days. Now, this is a big topic. It's a big topic with many, many, many interpretations. Eschatology is a large, large study. Uh, and there, there are some significant things of importance, and then there's some things that you can have an opinion about. You, you can have an opinion about what signs and, and how and when and what and who is the Antichrist and not the Antichrist and who is the million. There's a lot of stuff that goes into all of that. But there are some significant things that are worthy of note that we should always remember. Here's a couple of them, okay? And I'm not going to be able to get to all of them tonight, so relax. I'll, I'll, I'll make sure that I do this in a timely fashion. But here's some significant things of last things. There's a rapture of the church. There's a rapture of the church. There is a translation of the saints. There's several scriptures that talk about translating us out of darkness and translating us into light. There is a translation of the saints from this world into a rapture. So there's a rapture. There is a second coming of Jesus Christ. And there is a final judgment. So those, those things right there are significant things. And all I'm going to talk about in conclusion here tonight is the rapture of the church. The time is coming when Jesus will descend from heaven. Believers who have died will rise from their grave and believers who are alive will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. This promise will be fulfilled just as Jesus has fulfilled other prophecies of Scripture, and that promise gives us hope. If there were Old Testament promises that Jesus fulfilled, then Jesus, when he makes promises, will fulfill them himself. Praise God. So that, that's the establishment of a, a line of interpretation. Their Old Testament prophecies, Jesus fulfills them. If Jesus says something, you know that it has validity. And so if it hasn't happened yet, 
You don't get discouraged. You just say, if he said it, I believe it. If he, he fulfilled the prophecies of old, whatever he has said, he is going to fulfill in the future. And because of that, I can have understanding of where I am in the present. And I can put my hope in that. Where do we get this notion or idea of the rapture of the church? Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Paul's writing to the church at Thessalonica. And he gives to us this gem. Amen. Are you ready? Ready. Now, if you don't have your Bibles, you need your Bibles because this is how you stay engaged and not fall asleep. Okay. <clears throat> Praise God. Are you ready? Now, this is a gym. I'm telling you, this is really good. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. We need to comfort one another with these words. One of these days, the dead are going to arise. And if we're alive, we're going to join them in the air with the Lord. Comfort one another with these words. Praise God. That is powerful, powerful, powerful. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51, Paul joins together another verse with that one. And this one is just as good. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. But we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall all be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written Death is swallowed up in victory. Praise God. So who will rise first? The dead in Christ will rise first. How long will those who meet the Lord in the air be with him? And so shall we ever be with the Lord. What will happen to all believers dead and alive when the trump sounds? They shall be changed. They shall be changed. How quickly will this occur? Quickly, quickly. In a twinkling of an eye. In a moment. In a twinkling 
of an eye. They will be changed. This old corruptible will put on incorruption. This mortal will put on immortality. I'm not going to be walking in the same body in that moment and in that twinkling of an eye, but I'm going to put on immortality. It's going to be a new body. It's going to be a new identity. It's going to be a new life. Praise God. And the scripture said, you ought to comfort one another with these words. We live in a crazy world, an upside down world, a confused world. But I'm going to comfort somebody that Jesus Christ said he was going to return. And I believe it. I believe it. Amen. The first century church lived with expectation. Every single day they lived with that expectation. Acts chapter 1, the angel said, Jesus will come again in the same way that you have seen him go. And this was stamped in their memory. Peter did not diminish from this expectation. This was constantly in front of them. As a matter of fact, this is really, really powerful. And I think because of time, we've, we've lost a little bit here. I want you to think about this. In the early church, they saw Jesus go up and, and the angel said, he's coming back just the way he went up. So they had a mandate to preach the word of God and to go out and be, have an impact and influence in their world because their expectation was we don't have much time because he could be returning anytime soon. And, and you, talk about, you talk about energy and passion with that right in front of you. You're not going to approach that with an attitude that, well, I've got tomorrow or a couple years or, you know, I can, I can do that when I get all this other stuff done. No, they had an attitude. We, we, are, we were told that you shall receive power and you shall be witnesses into the whole world. And so we've got to reach the whole world before Jesus Christ comes. And it could be tomorrow. And so their hair was on fire. Literally. Well, maybe not literally. Symbolically. Symbolically, their hair's on fire because they've got a message that saves. And you need to be saved because Jesus is coming back. So they were, they were energized and impassioned and flamed by that. Well, as centuries have rolled along, the church has kind of lost that edge and what I'm teaching you here tonight is we should still have the edge. <laughs> we, we should still be saying every single day when our feet hit the floor, not that, well, that's, uh, we've heard that. As a matter of fact, Peter addresses that. He said scoffers, well, there have always been scoffers. But Peter never relinquished from the moment he preached on the day of Pentecost until the later years in his life when he gives to us his epistles. It's still in the forefront of his mind. Don't believe the naysayers. Don't believe the scoffers. Believe that Jesus said he's coming back and the church should still have that same edge that says we need to get things right today because Jesus may return it could even be at night and so he acknowledged this in his epistle now some days had passed so enough days had passed to where people were starting to get a little jaded by it. 
And so in his epistle, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3, he says this, knowing this first that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So Peter was running into that question as his ministry and years progressed. But this is what he says. He assures, he assures in the rest of 2 Peter chapter number 3. He says, for this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world was then being overflowed with water, it perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day, <laughs> I love this, one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. And the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of the Lord? Peter said, you keep looking for it. Because the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. And he said, I just want to go on record right here that one day is like a thousand with God. And a thousand is like one day. We don't live in God's time. God's time is different than our time. And so we may see days and years and centuries go by, but in God's time, it's like a blip on a screen. When he returns, he's going to return with power. He's coming. He's not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness. But he's long-suffering to us Amen. So he says, keep looking, keep looking, keep hasting, keep praying for. When's the last time you prayed, come Lord Jesus? We, we get, oh God, Lord, help me, help me. I got work to do. We keep blowing the trumpet about our problems and our difficulties, and we got to get this, and we got to arrange this. When's the last time we prayed, come Lord Jesus? I believe a lot of people right now should be praying, come Lord Jesus. We get too at ease. We don't pray that prayer because everything's going good. It's all good. But when we run into trouble... Then all of a sudden, we want to check out of our present circumstances. I want to pray every single... If it's a good day, it's a good day for the Lord to return. If it's a bad day, oh, Lord, come Lord Jesus. Whatever state I'm in, I'm hasting to the coming of the Lord, said Peter. 
And Paul had a shared awareness as evidenced by his passage in Thessalonians. Many wonder, when's this day going to be? When is it? Run the couch, if you would come, please. When is that day going to come? Some have tried to make money off of it. Wasn't there, the Lord was supposed to come in 1989, right? 88 reasons why the Lord was coming in 88. There's always been charlatans that want to put a number or a date on it and make money off of it. But the scripture said in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 36, listen to this. This is really good and helps us. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my father only. Nobody knows the day. Nobody knows the day. Nobody. Nobody. Turn to your neighbor and say, nobody. Nobody. Jesus said it. That day and hour knoweth no man. But he did say, but this is what it's going to be like. So you can look at signs. There are signs. He said, but as the day of Noah were, so shall also be the sunny coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Two shall be in the field, one's taken, the other left. Two women grinding at the mill, the one's taken, the other left. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. You gotta watch. You got to watch. You got to watch. Some people get nervous. We're talking about the coming of the Lord. Why? Because they're not ready. They're not ready. But for those of us who are hasting, mm, I'm, not, I'm not pushing the coming of the Lord to the background so I can do some things that I want to do right now. And then at some point try to figure out, well, now I'll work this to where I can still enter into the coming of the Lord. No, I'm hasting every single day because I, I, I'm, I'm looking for his return. I don't know when the hour's going to be. I don't know when the day is going to be. But this one thing I know, he promised that he's coming back. Paul believed it would happen in his lifetime. Paul said, the dead are going to rise first, but we which are alive and remain, we shall be caught up together. Paul thought it was going to happen in his time frame. I believe it could happen in my time frame. I'm hasting. We're living in the last days that started at the day of Pentecost. We're in the last days. Every, every generation should have the same expectation and should avoid fruitless speculation of the date of this event. What we should be doing is saying, God, check my heart. I want to be right. And I'm looking for your coming. I'm looking for the rapture. As we stand together tonight, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 8. Paul said, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. Mm. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. 
Anybody love his appearing? Oh, I, I love his appearing in services. I feel his presence and his anointing. But, but I'm talking about the appearing. Amen. That love is appearing. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. You know, I like, I, I, I like new songs. I like songs that are written by apostolics. And there seems to be of late inspiration that is coming to apostolics that are writing songs that are being sung outside of just apostolics and I, I appreciate that I like that but <laughs> have you heard a new song talking about the coming of the Lord anybody a lot of songs about he's a miracle worker he's a not too many songs about his return. Mm. So I thought tonight <clears throat> we'd sing a song about his return. How about it? Would you sing with me? Praise God. There's a blessed time that's coming, coming soon. It may be evening, morning, or at noon. The wedding of the bride, united with the groom. We shall see the king when he comes. We shall see the king. We shall see the king. We shall see the king when he comes. He is coming in power. We'll hail the blessed hour. We shall see the King when He comes. Yes, we shall see the King. Oh, we shall see the King. We shall see the King when He comes. He is coming in power. We'll hail the blessed hour. We shall see the King when He comes. All right. How many of you have heard this song? Raise your hand. How many of you have never heard this song? Raise your hand. It's about 50-50. All of you. <laughs> Are you ready should the Savior call today? Would Jesus say well done or go away? stay we shall see the king when he comes oh we shall see the king we shall see the king we shall see the king when he comes he is coming in power with hell the blessed out we shall see the king when he comes we shall see the king see the king. We, we shall, shall see the king when he comes. He is coming in power. We'll hail the blessed hour. We shall see the king when he comes. Oh, my brother, are you ready for the call to crown your Savior, King and Lord of all? The kingdoms of this world shall soon be for him 
fall We shall see the King when He comes We shall see the King We shall see the King service will not be dismissed comfort one another and say we shall see the king amen god bless you